final installment on this resolutions series. And, and real quick, how many are you still doing your New Year's resolutions? <laughs> Honest? Honest. That's great. That's great. None. Okay, fantastic. Well, well done. Um, well, this whole series is all about us becoming more resolute and fortified in our faith. Being shaped by practices so that when we leave this space, we are more equipped to serve, to pray like we learned last week. And today I want to talk about worship. But before we do that, if you need a Bible, feel free to raise your hands and one of our incredible ushers would love to give you a Bible. Friends, I got to tell you, this is my second time back in the great state of Texas, the great city of Houston in 2024. My second time. Yeah, yeah, yep. I left the cold of Illinois to come to the rain of Houston. Both times it's rained that I've been here. The first time I came was on January 8th at NRG Stadium for the national championship where the University of Michigan, my team, won a national championship. Oh, really? That's all I get. After 26 years. Wow. All right. Okay, cool. Well, today is a big day for Chiefs fans and Taylor Swift fans and Niners fans. There's the one guy up there. He's like leaving. All right, go get him, Mahomes. Go get him. We, we hope you do well, all right? Hope you do well. Um, well, we're going to talk about the seven Hebrew words for worship. There's actually 15 different words used in the scriptures for worship. Seven in Hebrew, eight in Greek, Old Testament written in Hebrew, New Testament understood in Greek. But today, just because there is a game, supposedly, after service, um, and I don't have enough time, but we're going to walk through the seven Hebrew words. And oftentimes when you read these words, it looks like the word praise. But what's unique is each of these words to the Hebrew nation it was much richer, much deeper. And hopefully today, it might challenge you, inspire you, help you kind of stretch yourself to become more resolute and what it means to worship. And just so that we're all kind of clear on what it means to worship, to worship literally means to hand worth over. Like the, the whole idea of worthiness. Someone is worthy. It is you giving worth Ship. You are saying this person is worth this praise or these words. This person is worth that. And so seven Hebrew words to help us understand what it means to give God the full worth-ship. It starts in Psalms chapter 67, verse 3. It says this, May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. Now, that word praise is in Hebrew is the word yada. Let me hear you say yada. Well done. That means praising God while raising your hands. Praising while raising. Now, how many of you, just as you were worshiping, raised your hands? As some of you did. That's awesome. It's that at the heart is yada. And, and, and really, is there any more natural expression of praise or celebration than raising our hands. You all know, when the Houston Astros won the World Series, none of you just kept your hands in your pockets if you're a fan. You raised your hands, yada. You're excited, you're high-fiving, you're cheering. And I love, I love cities like Houston and Chicago because they're true sports cities. I don't know some of you are like, every time we come, you talk about sports. Why? Because it's a prop. And you can talk about anything 
Because sports opens the door to talk about the matters of culture and life and faith in, in such unique and powerful ways. But I love being in a sports city like a Houston or Chicago because it's not just a city where guys wear jerseys. There are also cities where women wear jerseys. And, and you know, if you've ever been to a Blackhawks hockey game, I'm more afraid of the women wearing the jerseys than I am of the guys. Because they, they, they'll you die, but they might actually hit you a little harder than you want. And this, this part of us in our worship is oftentimes when we're raising our hands, it's in the sense of celebration. But how many of us, often in our worship, we just keep our hands in our pockets? And there's no shade or shame. I'm just, just curious about that. And ask yourself, what is it that, that holds me back from lifting up my hands? Is it I, I wonder what the other person might think beside me or in front of me or behind me? What, what, what is it? And the heart of giving worth to God is actually just saying, I am in full surrender of your goodness and your holiness and how great you truly are. First words, Yadah. That's not the, the only one. There's another one. This is the very last verse of the book of Psalms. Psalm 150, verse 6. It says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And then it says that phrase again, praise the Lord. Now this word praise isn't the word yada, it's the word halal. And when you talk about halal, that's where joy and awe and celebration is fully on display, undignified and all. And when you actually have the sense of halal, praise, and then you have the two words, the Lord, we have smashed it into one word, which we say hallelujah. And yah is short for Yahweh. And so the end of Psalms is just hallelujah, hallelujah. And when you say hallelujah, something just happens within you. You feel just lighter. I remember I had a buddy, he was in his 60s, his name's Tom. And uh, he's got a great mustache, it'd make Tom Selleck jealous. Wore a brown leather jacket. For many, many months, he'd come up after I would teach in Chicago and he'd say, Steve, you got to come to prison with me. I was like, okay, uh, that sounds fun. I'm like, he, I'm like when, when do you go? He goes, pretty much every week. And I'm like, what are you doing, Tom? Uh, he's like, I, I serve there. I was like, oh. And this guy really wanted to embody what Matthew 25 was all about. He wanted to incarnate the ways of Jesus. And so one day he picks me up. We drive down to this prison in the state of Illinois. And the prison was architected in a way where there was minimal light that would enter in. They wanted it to be so dark and filled with so much shame. And they created this place. It's called Statesville. It's just, they ended up just closing it down a couple years ago because it was so dark and so oppressive. But Tom's like, let's go there. I'm like, okay. So I'm like, Tom, as we're driving, what, what do I need to know about prison? What do I need to know about kind of ministering to men behind bars? He's like, number one, just be yourself. I'm like, okay, I can do that. Number two, let God work through you. Okay, I can do that. And then number three, just be yourself. I'm like, done, that's easy. All right, be myself, let God work through me, be myself, done. So we walked in, we get wanded down through like security checkpoint. And as we're walking down this dark hallway towards where all of the men are and all of the cell blocks are, Tom becomes a different person. And he starts screaming, Louia, Louia, Louia. And I'm like, hey, dude, what are you, what are you doing, bro? Like, 
we're in prison, man. You got to like, you know, you got to keep it cool, man. Like, just like, what are you doing? He's like, what? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And I'm like, Tom, you told me to be myself. What are you doing? And he looks at me and he stops and he goes, Hallelujah. It's my call sign. Every one of these men, their family and their friends has said that they were going to visit. But after a while, they stopped coming. But I want these men to know that even as dark as it might feel in this place, that you can still lift up a Luya. Because Luya is short for hallelujah. So I say it to let the men know I'm back and that God is here. Is that okay with you, Carter? And I was like, <laughs> yeah, man, that's great. Luya. And all of a sudden he says it one more time. And then a chorus of Luyas from the men who are behind bars because they're pastor. Their friend, a man named Tom, was there. And Tom taught me something. Because I think for so many of us, it's easy for us to lift up a hallelujah or a luya when it's good. But can you lift up a luya when it doesn't make sense? Can you lift up a luya when you actually are walking through the most adverse or difficult situation? Can you actually, when it feels so dark and your back is up against a wall and you don't see a way through, can you still lift up Alleluia? And the way that Psalms end says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. The fact that you're breathing is the invitation that we ought to be the kind of people who are lifting up Alleluia. Go to Psalm 144, verse 9, says, I will sing a new song to you, my God. On the ten-stringed lyre, I will make music to you. This word, make music, in Hebrew is the third word for praise and worship. It's the word zamar, and it means to make music. There's something about music, isn't it? You can hear maybe your favorite musician. Or you can hear the sound of a worship song. Or you can hear the sound of an old organ in a church. Or you can hear the sound of amazing grace. And something happens. It's like all the RPMs that we're running at seem to just dissipate. Because music has the power to unlock hearts. And speak to and calm our souls. How about every one of you, if I stopped and I said, what's this song and when you're going through a difficult moment, it just has the ability to center you and ground you. It could be an old hymn. It could be a new song that you just started singing this past month. It's something powerful. And I love over the last year listening and, and, and actually getting really moved by the music that this Faith Bridge, Faith Bridge worship team has been creating. There's something really, really powerful when you can begin to start to describe who God is through song. And before the Gutenberg printing press, the way that we taught theology was through music. Because people would remember. They would remember amazing grace. They would remember how sweet the sound. They would remember that God is faithful, that God is good. And some of us, we might not remember a mem uh, like a Bible verse, but you'll remember a chorus. You'll remember a bridge. You'll, you'll be walking out into this, this room and you might be singing a song that you heard in the service because that's the power of music. And I love what the Jewish nation taught was that, no, we got to be people who keep making songs, keep writing down who God is, continuing to giving that to our kids so that they can begin to sing those songs. The Psalm 42 verse 4 says this, these things I remember as I pour out my soul. 
How I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. And I love this because whenever, whenever the Jewish nation would come into the temple, there was this sense of excitement. There was a sense of anticipation because in the temple was where the presence of God was. It was a place that was so holy, so other, so set apart, and they felt that they could get so close to the presence of God that God could do something in their minds, in their hearts. And for many of them, they would take and go on these massive journeys, whether at a festival or whether for a sacrifice, to come to the temple. And they had this, this longing, this expectation that they could meet with God. And that praise that David is writing about, he's using the word todah. And that's praising God with an insatiable longing and deep expectation. I wonder how many of you enter into these doors or in the communion service. You enter into the doors and you have a sense of expectation that God is here. That God wants to meet with you. That God wants to speak to your heart, speak to your soul. Can you imagine if we like all entered into this space with this longing and belief that God was here? Because all that we do here is practice so that when we actually go out into our day and into our neighborhood and into the marketplace and into wherever we will frequent, we can experience the presence of God and expect it there as much as we expect it here. I flew in early yesterday, I rented a car, I drove to the woodlands, did some reading, and then I drove and I met with a small group, a grow group from Faithbridge. And I drove uh, to this house, never been to the house. It was just all connected via like email um, with this, this couple. And um, I, I, there's a bunch of cars out of the house. And so I, I knock on the door, the door opens, and I can, I can, I can already start to smell the Weber grill. And it is an aroma that is pleasing to the Lord, you know? It's a charcoal Weber grill from Palatine, Illinois. I know the company of Weber. And I'll tell you, like, I, I, I went in there and all of a sudden this, like, deep expectation, this insatiable longing for meat. You start connecting, and, and, and this guy, Mike, I mean, he's just amazing. He, he like basically cooked a ribeye, a sirloin, tea, I mean, it's all these different types of steak, and they kept like feeding it to me. I was like, you're going to give me the meat sweats tomorrow. If I'm like sweating, that's why. And like, we're just like eating, but we're talking. And we're just over this like conversing about like, what do they, what do they love about Faith Bridge? And how did the, this couple meet? And how, what's, what God's teaching you right now? And it's just all just with the smell though. I felt this sense of expectation. And I, I think God uses these props to remind us that his presence, what if we expected that? What if we, we had just the sense that we had met with God and that we, if we met with him here, then we can meet with him there. And if we met with him there, we can meet with him over there. And if over there, we can meet with him here. When you have that sense, then you constantly have praise and worship on your lips. I love what it says in Psalm 103. It's the first Passage of scripture in fifth grade that I ever memorized. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul, and forget not his benefits. 
Some of us translate that phrase, praise the Lord, as bless the Lord, O my soul. And maybe some of you know that song, bless the Lord, O my soul. That's all the singing I'm going to do. But like, you, you have this moment of like praise was connected to bless. And that word praise in Psalm 103 is the word barak. And it means to bend low in a sign of adoration and gratitude to bless. Just think about this. The barak is, this, is at like the root of the word bless. And the idea often when it comes to bless the Lord, oh my soul, it's not us speaking over God and blessing God. It's actually us beginning to bend and kneel and in that place of surrender, crying out in adoration and blessing and gratitude to God. And somehow, as you read the New Testament, the kingdom economy says when you actually can get to this point of blessing the Lord, that somehow God actually lifts you up. And a culture that centers ourselves becomes so easy for us to make ourselves the hero of the story, the greatest character in this moment, to exaggerate, to try and showcase our goodness or our holiness, or that we have it all together. There is something powerful when we can actually bend low and say, no, 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 this is not about me. This is all about you. And somehow in that, there is something powerful that happens because in the blessing of God, there is a transfer of all of the ego and all of the anxiety and all of the sin and all of the worry and all of the stress and all of the pressure onto the one who can hold it. And what he offers back is the transformation of grace and peace. For many of us, though, it's hard for us to do that. And we will bless him if he does something good for us. But we don't like to actually bend and lower ourselves. But we miss out on what God has in store for us. And a tradition for the Hebrew nation was to find moments to fall at the feet. To kneel. To lay just flat on the ground in a sense of like, you are so much more. Recently I was speaking at our church. I was like sitting over here and I looked across the room and I watched a man on a cane put his cane and lean it on the chair and begin to slowly make his way down to the ground to kneel as he sang. And it was so moving to me because of the effort that it took for him to get there and the effort that it took to get him back up. But he was like, my God deserves that. And like, it, it really pushed me to go, when's the last time I'd be willing to kneel in public? When's the last time I would be able to demonstrate that God is worth everything? And I had to really wrestle with that. The next verse, Psalm 40, verse 3, says, He has put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Now, this is my favorite of the, the Hebrew words for worship because this is the word tahila. Isn't it just fun to say? Tahila. And that means a new song. And this is the sense of when, when actually something happens, you actually don't know what to do in that moment, but somehow you just got to sing something new. And I love old hymns. Don't get me wrong. I love old songs. 
I, it, will, it will transport me back to a, a past moment of God's faithfulness. And yes, yes, I love old hymns, but I also know that there are moments where God is actually not just back there. He's actually here and in front of us, and he's inviting us to write new songs. Have you ever had a moment where God was so near or his presence was so tangible or his kindness was so good or his generous gift was just so, it's like you didn't even know what to say. I remember on April 5th, 2008, a doctor, nurse handed me my son and she called me dad. Here you go, dad. And I held it. And I, I didn't know what to do, but I just started to sing over this kid a new song. I remember a number of years ago, I was snowboarding at Mammoth Mountain. It's got like the, the only double black diamond mountain in all of California. It's called Dave's Run. You take a whole bunch of lifts up to it. It had snowed fresh powder the night before but this day it was stunning it was just pure sunlight you could just look over the mammoth valley you could see the lake it was just fresh fresh white powder and I remember just being there by myself and I, I just started to cry out and sing how can anyone not believe in you God just started to sing that out loud I don't know it was just such a moving picture of his beauty and his power and his majesty and big nature. I just started to scream that out and sing that out when all of a sudden that guy behind me that I didn't know starts snowboarding down. He goes, oh, I know, bro, and he just charges. <laughs> but some of these songs that we have, when you think of God's forgiveness, his grace, his steadfast love, do you ever just like have a moment where you just step back and Maybe in your journal, just write a lyric. No one, no one may never even hear it. Or you're on a walk and you just, just say, you know, praise and honor, glory, Father. And you just sing out a new song. That's what Tehillah was because they wanted to capture moments. And if you're familiar with the Old Testament, they would do this where they would name a place because God was here. Or they would set up an altar. Or they would like erect these massive stones and they would, they would like tell the story because they were props or they would write a song. And I think for many of us, we've let the songwriting for people on stage. But I think God wants to give some of you a new song. And when you sense and taste and see that he's good, maybe it's from a verse, maybe it's just something that comes up. And you just want to say, God, in this moment, I just want to sing out and tell you how great and good and worthy you are. Psalm 47, verse 1, talks about another Hebrew word. He says, clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with cries of joy. Clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God. And that idea of shout is the last Hebrew word. It's Shabbat. And that means to shout with everything you have. And I'll tell you, it is so easy for many of us. I'm going to see it in a few hours watching the game. And there's going to be a moment where some of you are in the living room and you are going to shout with joy. And I, I find myself just watching that. And there's no shade. I, I get it. I'm a huge sports fan. But again, I push myself to go, when's the last time 
I was undignified and shouting for joy for what God has done. It was the last time I actually shouted with such a sense of passion for God's faithfulness, for the forgiveness of my sins, for the sense that I can walk in, in freedom. And again, so often it's because I wonder if what this person's going to think or what this person's going to think. But what it really actually means to worship is to surrender all of that and make your primary focus God. To live your life for an audience of one. Bringing all glory to him. Now, here's what I want you to do. Is I just want you to look at these, these seven Hebrew words. And I want you to really ask yourself, because this whole series is from trying to help you and stretch you on an area, whether serving or prayer, or today like worship. And maybe for some of you, it's Yadah. Maybe for some of you, the next step in your kind of worship of the Lord is to actually, you know, I'm going to start to try and raise my hand. Or maybe it's halal. It's just going to be a joy and awe of celebration on full display, undignified and all. Maybe for some of you, it's Zamar. Some of you are like, you know what, I, I got to pick up the guitar. I feel like there's a song. Maybe it's Tada, and it's you entering into this space with more expectation, this insatiable longing for God's presence and a praise that comes from that place. Maybe for some of you in a moment, when we sing, it's actually going to lead you to a point of saying, enough about me, make this life all about you and blessing God for who he is. Or maybe for some of you this week, it's Tehillah. You're going to challenge yourself that this week, when maybe God shows himself and showcases his power, maybe if there's a song that comes to mind, you'll just sing it and give him praise in that moment. Or maybe it's Shabbat, a shout unto the Lord. But I'll be honest with you, there are moments that I walk into church, even as a pastor, that I don't want to worship. Maybe I didn't sleep well the night before. I don't know. Maybe there's just something that's happening. I don't know. But I almost have to like Jedi mind trick myself a little bit. And the way that I do that is I think about my biological grandfather. I never met him. But he went to West Point. He's buried at West Point. He's a multi-star general. He fought in World War. He was a general in the Korean War. And even though I never met him, I've been to the cemetery at West Point. I've seen his name. I've read a bunch about him and all of the stuff that he led. But I think about this, and I'm sure many of you have thought about this. You have a veteran family member who served. You have someone who's currently serving. And you ask yourself, for the people who are willing, the women and the men who are willing to sacrifice their lives, their one and only life, for what? And the answer that most people will give me is for our freedom. For the freedom that we have to actually cry out and sing and bring honor and praise to God. To actually hold to the values of what we want as a people to give glory and honor to God. And what do I do? And I'm like, I don't want to do it. And one of the ways I can say thank you to those that I'll never know who have been willing to go is through worship. I hold that story, and at the same time, I hold another story from my friend who actually works for the persecuted church. And there are many, many, many churches around the globe who are meeting 
in apartments, that are meeting underground, that are meeting out of fear, literal fear that if anybody ever found out that they were giving honor and praise to God, that they would be arrested, beaten, or even killed. And my buddy told me about one place that he went to and was in an apartment complex. And they all had to come at different times. And they had to come from different ways to this apartment. I mean, we just, we just come down Studner Airline Road and we get like ushered into our parking space. Then they're having to come at different times. And when they would walk into the apartment, they would be handed a sheet of music, but they would not sing Amazing Grace. They would read it. And the worship pastor didn't sing. The worship pastor just led first verse, second verse, chorus. Because if they sang it out loud, their neighbors might know and their neighbors might report. And I think to myself, man, I bet if they could walk into this space, there would be a gratitude that would well up in their hearts that they could say, I can sing. I actually, with my voice, can lift up my hands. I can sing about how great my God is. I don't just have to think it. And it's in those moments, or even when I don't want to, I recognize that my God deserves it. And when you worship, if any of you ever struggled to worship, lift up your hands to actually enter in with deep expectation and longing. Here's what you need to think about. Number one, who is God to you? Not to your neighbor, not to a spouse, not to your kids, not to your boss, not to the person in front of you or behind you. Who is God to you, number one? Number two, what has God done for you? If you can begin to get clear of who God is, what God has done, and then number three, what is God going to do? All of a sudden, that sense of expectation, this is who he is, this is what he's done, this is what he will do. And once you get to those three points, the last question is, so then, how will I choose to respond to a God who is this, and a God who has done this, and a God who will do this. And if gratitude does not well up within you, I'm wondering if you're actually breathing. <laughs> because all of a sudden, you begin to recognize, oh, this God, this holy, holy God. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray, and even in the room, the communion service, the band's going to come out, and we're going to play a song. And it's a song called Gratitude. And if you talk to any spiritual director, they will tell you that if you want to speed up your spiritual formation, be a person who is humble, showcase humility, have curiosity, and be profoundly grateful. If you are humble, curious, and grateful, you will find yourself connecting with God in such pure and honest and true ways. This is one of my favorite worship songs right now. It's called Gratitude. And we're going to sing it. But as I do, I just want to lead us in a prayer to maybe get ourselves ready. And I'm hoping that those seven words, the yadas to the shabaks, to the tehillahs, to the zamars, all of those words, that something might just well up inside of you and you would stretch yourself to worship like you've never worshiped before. To give God the worth he actually deserves. God, we come before you.
And we first and foremost want to say thank you. Who are you? You are a good, good father. Who are you? You are gracious and kind. Who are you? You are steadfast in your pursuit of us. And what have you done? I don't even have to look any farther than the cross. You sent your son. You raised him. Showcasing that we too can overcome evil and sin and death because of you, only you. And what will you do? Oh man, you're gonna walk with us. You're gonna never leave us nor forsake us. A holy, perfect God makes himself known and actually sends his spirit to live within us. Who are you? What have you done? What are you doing? It just, it, I can't even fathom it sometimes. And so God, I just pray as we sing. For some of us, we lift up our hands. For some of us, we'd sing and not care about who's in front of us or behind us or beside us. We just fix our soul, focus, and attention on you. And if we can cheer for a team, May we cry out and cheer to the God who deserves it. We love you. We trust you. And all God's people said, amen. Let's respond.